You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, everybody. It's so good to see you again at Calvary. And uh, boy, what a great series we've begun. I'm super excited about walking through Matthew with you. Last week, we talked about the theological genealogy that is uh, the begats, right? So-and-so had so-and-so had so-and-so. And And, uh, lots of important stuff there that you might have skipped over, but maybe you didn't want to. Well, this is another place that um, there's a lot of important theology that we're going to unpack here. And this day, we're going to talk specifically about Matthew, the supernatural coming of our Savior, uh, the virgin birth in particular. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. Now, um, to walk through this, I actually want to start with a quote from someone all of us would probably know his name, very, very well known um, in the Hamilton musical. (laughs) Maybe that interests to some new people, but in your history books as well. Um, And I'm going to pick a quote from Thomas Jefferson. Here's the quote from Thomas Jefferson. The day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus by the supreme being as his father in the womb of a virgin will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. In other words, nobody believes that uh, Minerva came out of the brain of Jupiter. That's just crazy talk. And Thomas Jefferson sees the virgin birth that same way. By the way, he said that in 1823. And I would say that, uh, nope, a whole lot of us still believe uh, in the virgin birth of Jesus. So let's take a look at the text. Let's walk through the text. Let's explain why it's important. Here it is in front of us. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people uh, from their sins. Right. So, so all this took place to fulfill what was uh, what the Lord spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called uh, his name Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 25 through, uh, verse 18 through 25. So this raises a lot of questions about uh, Jesus here that I want us to look at. It, It raises the supernatural question. Does the Bible really teach that Jesus was born of a virgin. Um, and we're going to talk about that. The substance, if the Bible really does teach the virgin birth, why is it important? Why does that even matter? And then the significance, why does the virgin birth matter anyway? Now, it may surprise you to know that on many occasions, I've had conversations. I remember being in um, in Washington, D.C. at the invitation of 
um, Senator Danforth, and uh, there's a group that he had put together, and we kind of all met, and it was um, conservative religious leaders. I was in that category. And there was liberal religious leaders, and along with conservative members of Congress. So there were senators and um, uh, representatives there, and both liberal and conservative. And we're all, it's called the Better, Better Angels Project. We're all trying to get to know each other, and that's a good thing in general, I think, to get to know each other. So in the midst of the conversation, um, the conversation came up with one of the um, nationally known liberal religious leaders. Uh, you would probably know the person. Um, and for some reason, she just brought up to me the virgin birth. And, um, you know, just, you know, why do you insist on such things like that? Now, okay, it was, it was in the midst of another conversation. And what I said was, because I already believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. I already believe that God created the world. I already believe that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I didn't say this as articulately then, you know, but that basically said, I already believe a lot of supernatural stuff. I got no difficulty believing supernaturally that Jesus was born. And of course, there are lots of people, well, what about this? What about this? But I, I actually appreciate the words of Larry King, you might be surprised to know. So Larry King, um, he was, uh, what would it be like? He's like the Anderson Cooper of his day on CNN at these interview shows. And he was asked if he could interview anyone from history. And he's, he was answered, I would interview Jesus Christ. And, and uh, what would you like to ask him? He was asked, and King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. And he's right. So the virgin birth and the resurrection are constantly contested. And I want to talk about some about why. And we're going to focus in on that. I think it's the supernaturalness. That's not a word, but run with me, the supernaturalness of this. And I really think it's important that we acknowledge that what we believe is not some philosophy. It's not some good teacher. It's a supernatural reality. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You and your arm redeemed your people. That's Psalm 77 verses 14 through 15. It's not on your screen, but I just want to put it out there before you. You see, um, again, God works wonders. And Christianity is not a moral code or philosophy of life. It's not a detached ideology. It's a miraculous story of a person for people in history. Faith in the miraculous is essential for you to be a Christian. So, um, and I'm intrigued by this. There was a person who was deconstructing faith on Twitter. The person announced that, you know, you don't have to believe that Jesus is, um, is the son of God. You know, and 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 I said, well, yeah, you don't have to believe you're the son of God, but that means you're not a Christian, because and and so I mean, you can't just claim these things. We literally believe that there's this event that split time, that B.C. and A.D. are marking his miraculous birth, and 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 we believe it's a virgin birth, and so, um, so so we see this now again. We're talking about the virgin birth. We're talking about the birth of Christ. It's not anywhere near Christmas time, and so. Uh, therein is the challenge, right? Uh, hopefully, we'll gather together Christmas 2021 um, in person. We didn't get to do that this year with a glorious Christmas Eve service and maybe Christmas Day activities. But today, it's more common in New York City, across our city, to see Christmas trees and lights than nativity scenes. Yet the virgin birth is the underlying assumption of so much of the birth of Jesus. Now, don't get me started on the details of the, the nativity scene. But the point is, the virgin birth is the underlying assumption of so much of the story of Jesus. So let's take a close look at the text and re-examine what really is a controversial teaching 
um, and we'll walk through this together. Now, here's the irony. The controversy is deeply woven in the life and history of Calvary. We'll get to that as well. So let's take first uh, the supernatural. Does the Bible really teach the virgin birth? Now, we're going to do this by looking uh, at the text in Matthew and notice all the places where Jesus was uh, virgin born, where it's either uh, explicitly said or implied, but but let's lead up to it first, right? So let's start with Matthew one eighteen. His Mary, his mother Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Now in those days in Israel, there really wasn't an engagement. There was a betrothal, and a betrothal, the man and the woman were legally married, uh, but the marriage had not been consummated. Uh, we're talking about a virgin birth, so we're going to have to talk about some more details. Had not been consummated with sexual union. So Mary and Joseph were in this stage. The Bible explains that both Mary and Joseph were righteous, uh, followers of the law, of the Hebrew scriptures. No hint that they were uh, living together on the side, um, that they were sexually active or more. Okay, so, so, so it starts there, but it doesn't end there, right? So um, then it says, uh, before they came together. Okay, so uh, came together is, again, a uh, way of describing sexual union. Before they came together in that way, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Matthew clearly is articulating. This is not something that you sort of like casually overread into Matthew. Well, maybe Matthew really didn't say this. No, Matthew's saying this. The text is saying before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Coming together, again, is a euphemism for sexual union. So the Bible's saying before Joseph and Mary had sexual relations, she was pregnant. And not only that, she was pregnant from... Um, she, she, and not only that, but she was not pregnant from some other guy. She was pregnant, I mean, the Matthew gives us the details, by the Holy Spirit. Lest we weren't sure, Matthew one twenty says, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So again, the Bible states um, here, Matthew states, that the baby in Mary came from, uh, came about as a result, not of sexual relations, but as a result of the Holy Spirit, God created life. The Holy Spirit did not um, impregnate Mary, right? Um, the Holy Spirit uh, made Mary pregnant, right? And then we get back again, back to the text. It says, um, she, uh, for that which you can see with her is of the Holy Spirit, uh, she will bear a son. So now what's important here is Matthew actually cites the virgin birth of Jesus as fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14, where it was said that a virgin would bear a son and name him Emmanuel, right? Name him Emmanuel. So, so what happens here is that Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, 25, he did, Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Again, the word knew is a, um, a reference to, to that union. So Joseph obeys the command of the angel, marries Mary, then the text states that they refrained from the sexual union until his wife gave birth to Jesus. Now, at this point, you could say, you know, there's a lot of talk about virgin birth and about not coming together and all this sort of stuff. Why does all this matter? Well, it matters to Matthew. It matters to the Holy Spirit who inspired Matthew to write it. Uh, it's also worth noting here that um, after this point, Joseph and Mary, um, as a married couple, um, enjoyed normal, uh, real intimate relationships. Uh, with his wife, they had multiple other children, including James and Jude, who wrote books in the New Testament and were leaders in the early church. So I guess the question is, is the virgin birth miraculous? Is absolutely. 
But the Bible really provokes us again and again to believe in miracles. This is no exception. I believe in miracles. I believe God created the world. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe the miracles in the New Testament are real and present. I actually believe God still does miracles today. I don't think they're common or else they wouldn't be called miracles. They'd be called Thursday. But many who reject the what we call the historicity of the virgin birth, um, they, they, they do so because they just can't believe the miraculous can really happen. And I want you to know, I get it. I get it, right? We don't see miracles every day. And so if you don't believe miracles happen, it's hard to believe in the virgin birth. Uh, but it's also impossible to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. So Matthew is undoubtedly teaching the virgin birth really happened, right? Um, so Jesus did miracles, but he was born as a miracle as well. Now, there's actually a whole debate around this is the controversy regarding the virgin birth re- revolves around the Hebrew word translated virgin in our Bible. Hebrew word is Alma, uh, Alma, but it can also be translated as a young woman. So, um, and probably the confusion that means it should be remind us that in those days in Israel, young women, young women were virgins. And if they were married young women, another uh, word would typically be used to refer to them. So, so, but there is a kind of conversation and a debate around this, and you may, may be familiar with it. It, it. It's something that Christians seem to know about. Um, and I actually like um, D.A. Carson's uh, words on this from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. I'm kind of a big D.A. Car- D.A. Carson fan. Uh, and he we used to be at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School um, in the Chicagoland area. But let me just quote D.A. Carson. The linguistic evidence is not as determinative uh, as some think. The Hebrew word Alma is not precisely equivalent to the word virgin, in the NIV he cites, in which all the focus is on the lack of sexual experience, nor is it precisely equivalent to young woman, in which the focus is on age without reference to sexual uh, experience. So what he's saying is, is that, yeah, people want to make this case, and sometimes people want to deny that Jesus was born a virgin make this case, but they're actually more connected than people think. Okay, so that being said, we're going to move forward from this, um, and when we do, we're going to look um, kind of making the assumption, if that's the case, right, we, 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 we ask the question specifically the, about the supernatural. Let's go on to number two on our outline. And we're going to look specifically at the substance of that as well. Let me let me pull that up so you can follow along with me. And we're going to look at the substance of that. And there's a lot of details that kind of flow out of that. I'm sorry, uh, we'll get to the significance in just a moment. But first, the substance. All right, so number two in our outline, the substance. If the Bible does teach the virgin birth, is it really that important? Um, can we uh, deny the virgin birth and uh, be a Christian? Or is that a non-Christian position? Um, I think you could be a Christian without uh, believing in the virgin birth, which may surprise you. Let me explain why. Um, I think when I became a Christian, I didn't know what that was. Um, and I think for a lot of people around the world, they follow Jesus, and then they learn more about his birth and more. Um, but I think ultimately um, we can a- acknowledge that this is a biblical teaching. This is a biblical teaching, and the call for us is to respond to that biblical teaching with faithfulness when we learn of it and when we come to the conclusion that the gospel writers on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit taught it or wrote it in this case, right? So, uh, so it goes then and it says, and his, he, he, he called his name Jesus, 
right? So he called his name Jesus. So Jesus is the sinless savior of the world. He had no sin, so he could be our sin bearer. So he was sinless. So this really is important because you don't just want to read about Jesus and miss the point of the whole thing. I actually read in a sermon illustration book uh, in December 1903, quoting from this book, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were finally successful in getting their flying machine off the ground, right? Uh, the Wright brothers invented the airplane. Uh, therefore, they telegraphed this message to their sister, Catherine. We've actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas, unquote. Catherine hurried to the editor of the local newspaper, showed him the message. He glanced at it and said, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He missed the big news. After hundreds of, thousands of years and hundreds of attempts, man had achieved flight. Okay, so um, so here's the thing. I don't want you to miss the big news that, um, you know, like we sing Silent Night at Christmas time, Holy Night, but then we sing Round Yon Virgin, Mother and Child, Holy Infant, So Tender and Mild. Don't miss the significance of the virgin birth. Hark the heralds. Uh, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Matter of fact, I think we probably use the word virgin more in December than the rest of the year, but it matters all the time that Mary was a virgin. Jesus is both Lord and Savior, and the virgin birth is part of this reality. Okay, so 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 again, we looked at the, the substance, if the Bible teaches the virgin birth, is it really important? Yes. It is important. And I want to spend the most of the time looking at the third point on our outline, which is the significance. Why does the virgin birth matter? Well, um, a lot of reasons. So while uh, Peter was, what's the significance, right? Um, why does the virgin birth matter? As Peter was uh, preaching at Pentecost, he actually says this. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when we've established the Bible actually teaches the virgin birth, Matthew writes this, but why does it matter? It's truly not that big deal. Could I have said to my friend at this meeting in Washington, well, it's no big deal. We're all following the same Jesus. We're all loving the same God. Well, the answer is no, it actually is a big deal. Uh, first, let's, let's say things it does not mean. First, uh, it does not mean there was an immaculate conception of Mary, right? Um, so Mary was a sinner that Jesus came to save. Mary, a righteous woman, an example. Her name would be spoken of for generations. Um, so that's important. Second, she was not a virgin forever. Uh, this is the doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary. There's two doctrines, the immaculate conception of Mary, which is not a biblical teaching, uh, and the perpetual virginity of Mary, which is also not a biblical teaching. The Bible even refers to Jesus' brothers and sisters. So that being there. So let's go then to the virgin birth, and let's talk about this uh, in a strange way related to Calvary, right? So um, one of the things that we we don't generally use the word to describe our church in this way, right? It's not listed on the website as a fundamentalist church. And that word has tended to take on a negative or pejorative meaning. I don't think it needs to. I don't think it should. Um, I know many Christians who call themselves fundamentalists who, who deeply love the Lord, and I'm so thankful for the things I've learned from them. But... Um, what we generally use is the word evangelical or Baptist to describe ourselves here at Calvary. 
and use those words sometimes interchangeably. But there was a time that with great certainty, we used the word fundamentalist. And it's not really that we've moved on the fundamentals. It's that the term has changed its meaning over time in culture. But the fundamentals were built on the idea that there were five fundamentals. So if you're fundamentalists, you believe in the fundamentals, right? So uh, it's basketball season. And I, I, I know nothing about basketball. I actually wrote an article in USA Today this week that ironically became the uh, number one top headline in USA Today on sports. And here's the thing. I had to look up what the Sweet 16 was and when it started and who was in it. I was actually writing defending Oral Roberts University from being canceled. Um, and I know nothing about sports, right? So so nothing. Zip, zero, nada. So, um, so, but in basketball, right, there are certain fundamentals of basketball. But people don't call people who do the fundamentals fundamentalists. The culture has shifted. So the five fundamentals were and are... Uh, the inspiration of the Bible and the inerrancy of the scripture, right? So, so number one is the Bible, inspiration and inerrancy. Number two, the virgin birth of Christ. Number three, the belief that Christ's death was an atonement for sin. Number four, the bodily resurrection of Christ. And number five, the historical reality of Christ's miracles. And people, um, the beginning of the last century, debated these things. Like literally, it was national news, the debate. Now, as I went through those five things, I would... I'm guessing that every one of you would say, unless you're, you know, visiting, maybe some invited you were glad you're here, you'd say, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we believe the inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible, virgin birth, the Christ's death is atonement, bodily resurrection, historical reality. But what's happening at the beginning of the last century is these doctrinal views were sort of uh, under attack. And um, and so here's so here's so some Christian leaders said, no, no, we've gotta, we've gotta actually take a stand on these issues because what was happening was it was in an age of anti-supernaturalism, which ironically is not so much anymore, um, uh, though secularism continues its increase. But um, so here's what's interesting. So our pastor at Calvary uh, from 1918 to 1929 was a guy named John Roach Straton. And so he was, um, uh, there was these ideas, more liberal ideas are being promoted. And in May, December 1923 to May 1924, uh, Dr. Straton engaged in a series of debates with someone called the modernist, right? So there's fundamentalists and modernists. So, and it, the, the modernist's name was Charles Francis Potter, the West Side Unitarian Church. They were called friendly enemies and they had this debate. And, um, and this was literally the debate of the subject. So this is our pastor a hundred years ago. Right. Um, number one, resolve that the Bible is the infallible word of God. Number two, resolve that that the world and man came by creation of a living God, not by evolution. Number three, resolve the miraculous virgin birth in Jesus Christ is an essential Christian doctrine. Number three, right? Don't miss it. It's for today. Resolve the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential Christian doctrine. Number four, resolve Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. Number five, resolve that Jesus Christ will return in bodily presence to this earth and establish the reign of universal peace and righteousness. So Straton would later actually publish uh, a book. It was actually actually pretty funny. He, he published, um, it was called The Famous New York Fundamentalist Modernist Debates, which what, ironically only included his own side of the story as well. But that would be the side of the story that we believe is the biblical teaching. So we should, um, in a sense, uh, not just hold to the doctrines, but be thankful that our church was a part uh, of of advocating and defending the doctrine of the virgin birth because it's essential, it's substantial 
uh, in God's redemptive plan. It's not a casual doctrine to be disregarded. Let's take a look. Uh, Without the virgin birth, the story about Jesus is dramatically different. If the virgin birth is a myth, then, um, then the story of Jesus' birth is about a sinful young woman and her crazy son. Um, her, uh, you know, she, 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 she must have slept with somebody, raised her son to think he was God. Uh, she had a, maybe a spineless husband who refused to stand up for what's right. Jesus went around fooling everyone, telling them that he was God, either because he was delusional or a con artist. If this is true, then Jesus is not someone you should put your faith in. If the virgin birth is not true, Jesus is not someone you should put your faith in. Rather, he's someone trying to steal your money who deserved to die and didn't uh, rise from the dead. Okay, so um, second, if the virgin birth isn't true, then Matthew isn't a trustworthy source, right? There's no doubt that Matthew is claiming that Jesus was virgin born. Anyone honestly reading the text can see this. This is Matthew's intent. So if it's not true, um, someone's either changed what Matthew has written, which some would say, or Matthew's lying to us. And if he's lying to us at this point, then we shouldn't be trusting other points either. We can close up our Bibles and wrap up our study of Matthew right now. But... um, we, matter of fact, we shouldn't assume Jesus can forgive sins or that he really rose from the dead. How can Jesus forgive sins if he's not this unique, uniquely born individual? Uh, also, the virgin birth is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Um, remember, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7-4 to point out the fact that Jesus' virgin birth is a fulfillment of Scripture. Uh, his coming is a sign uh, that, that um, his coming is a sign that a king will one day sit on the the throne of David, the Davidic throne. That's what we saw in the begats. If Jesus wasn't virgin born, then this prophecy uh, isn't fulfilled, right? So let's go back to the PowerPoint. I have not been stellar on the PowerPoint today, and I apologize for that. So um, without the virgin birth, the story about Jesus is dramatically different. I said that. If the virgin birth isn't true, then Matthew isn't a trustworthy source. Where we are now is the virgin birth uh, is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And uh, I just had a lot of PowerPoints today, so forgive me. Uh, And the virgin birth points towards Jesus' sinlessness. Now, before we get to that one, let me go back to the points to Old Testament prophecy because uh, this becomes a point of debate, right? And it's kind of a sign in the Old Testament, right? Again, let me quote D.A. Carson again. Signs in the Old Testament may function as a uh, present persuader or as a future confirmation. Right? And in Isaiah 7, 14, falls into the latter case. It's a future confirmation because um, Emmanuel's birth comes too late to be a present persuader. Because there's something going Isaiah 7, 14 is also in an historical context, right? Um, Carson explains that Isaiah sees a threat not simply to Ahaz, but to the house of David caught up in faithlessness. To this faithless house, Isaiah, right? It's Isaiah 7, 14, utters a prophecy. Therefore, Emmanuel's birth follows the coming events. It is a future confirmation and will take place when the Davidic dynasty has lost its throne. So there's a contemporary reality that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 7.14. But simultaneously, there's a future confirmation. And Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, by the way, let me also say, if you believe in the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus, you also can believe in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So Matthew, when he talks about these things, um, he, he, he actually is pointing to the Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, back to the PowerPoint. The virgin birth points towards Jesus' sinlessness, right? So Jesus is the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. Uh, theologians put it this way. Jesus added humanity to his divinity. The only way God could become man and remain God is if he did not become sinful in becoming a man. 
Therefore, the virgin birth points out that while Jesus was born just like you and me, um, in the sense that he physically was born, he experienced emotions just like you and me, and he, he and 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 more. He was tempted. Uh, the the Bible says tested, uh, and yet he is not sinful, nor did he ever sin. And one way to put that is he didn't inherit the curse of original sin, the curse of Adam. Right. Matter of fact, let's specifically look at the passage that talks about this. It's Romans five twelve. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those uh, who even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Okay, so so what we're getting here is a picture is that there's we're all been born with a sin nature. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. And uh, we, that's why we have to learn to do right rather than do what's wrong. But Jesus was not born with a sin nature in this way. He was fully God and fully man. We inherit our sin nature from our parents, but Jesus was not born in that normal way, so he did not inherit that sin nature. Let's not stop there, right? So also, failure to believe in the virgin birth was actually considered heresy in the early church. Um, there's actually groups of sects and others who rejected the virgin birth, and they were considered heretics. Um, and, and we see people like Ignatius, who was trained by the Apostle, Apostle John, who believed in the virgin birth. The virgin birth has always been a fundamental. Now, that is great. So what does that matter to us? Well, our history is significant. I think it's good to look back at the history of Calvary and how God has used Calvary. But let's also talk about the centrality of this to our faith. Without the virgin birth, Jesus is a liar. Mary is a liar. Jesus isn't God's son. Jesus didn't fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Jesus inherited the curse of Adam and is sinful. Jesus can't forgive your sins, and ultimately Christianity is stupid. See, that's why it's in the creeds like the Apostles' Creed, right? Because it is true. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That creed, two lines related to the virgin birth of Jesus in the Apostles' Creed. And why does it matter? Because we follow a supernatural Savior. And that supernatural Savior is born in a supernatural way, dies, God raised him from the dead in a supernatural way. And salvation is offered to us, and we respond by grace and through faith because of the supernatural work of God in our lives. If God, you know, this is, a, again, a preacher's, preacher's story that I couldn't find the source of, but listen to this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. Supernatural. So don't reduce Christianity. How do you respond? Don't reduce Christianity to a moralistic code or a philosophy of life. It's supernatural. We believe all kinds of strange things. The world doesn't understand. But because of that, don't think you can save yourself. He's a savior, and you need him to be the savior of 
your life. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to trust and follow him today. And if you are, I want us to take a moment to thank God that he is a supernatural savior, born in a supernatural way, raised from the dead in a supernatural way. And ultimately, we can embrace the fact that Christianity is not a philosophy. It's about a person born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. And he dwells in our hearts today. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you that by your grace and your goodness, you have worked in us. As followers of Jesus, you've changed us, caused us to be, have new life. Father, I pray that you might indeed remind us of the supernatural nature of our faith. It's not, it's not something to be explained by philosophy or teachings or good feelings. It's that God the Son was born Jesus the Christ, born of a virgin, born supernaturally, lived a sinless life and more. Father, thank you that we can embrace the supernatural, the strangeness of that supernatural, because it's changed our lives. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.